is more than what you wear. It's a message, a form of communication. Nobody knows this better than Loren North of Through the Closet Door. Loren originally started off as a geologist working to save the world. Through the years, she discovered a growing awareness around sustainability in the fashion industry and set off to combine her creativity with her personal purpose. She also remembered her experience growing up and never quite having clothes that felt right. That feeling of having nothing to wear, even as you stare at a closet full of clothing, is frustrating. Shifting careers from science to stylist with a purpose wasn't easy, but necessary. Welcome, Loren. Thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you. So, you know what, let's start from the beginning. I really love to do that just to get a sense of who you are and what your background is. Tell me where you're from and tell me what life was like for you as a child. So I am from Pennsylvania originally. I was born in Philadelphia and then grew up in um, a town about an hour and a half, hour and a half outside of Philadelphia called Allentown. Pretty small mm-hmm. compared to where I live now. Yeah, growing up very school focused. I liked I liked being a student. <laughs> um, so did a lot of art, horseback riding, um, and before I went to college, that was kind of like my my decision I had to make was um, because I had some art scholarships and things like that that I had participated in in high school, and you know, do which path do I choose? You know, is it um, artist and and at one point I even thought about being a fashion designer because I was so interested in fashion and the practical side of me kicked in and said well there's that that's like a going to be a really difficult career path and an uncertain one but science is is going to just somehow be a better option so that's what I um you know told myself at the time and it worked out pretty well for me for quite a while so that's what I ended up pursuing as my undergraduate degree um in environmental science when you were in high school so did were you a member of a science club and then uh, some sort of art club? Did you have both pieces going yes. on at the same time? Yes. So how did you make this decision? I mean, it's a curious one from um, going from um, fashion to geologist. Just curious. Well, I, it really comes down to that, um, like, gene that I have in me, which is, like, you will save the planet. Like, I just can't ever shake that. Like, that is my mission. And um, when I was looking into going to college and, in, in, like, junior and senior year of high school, a lot of um, new, what they're called, you know, remediation techniques were coming into like common practice and so these are the types of things that engineers use to clean you know attempt to clean up the environment and because my dad is a civil engineer you know this was coming across in a lot of his trade magazines and things like that and he would give me those to read and I had a lot of contacts in that industry like various friends and mentors so from my perspective it was a great time to become um, an environmental consultant because in the early 90s that's when that field really hit its stride and was becoming a thing um, for most of the 80s, geologists worked as petroleum or engineering geologists. The consulting really wasn't a thing, and then it became a thing. And um, so I was kind of at right time, right place, and I thought it was fascinating. And I want to do my part to save the planet. Like, that's always my my guiding point. <laughs> so when you graduated, became a geologist, what kinds of projects did you work on? Just to give people a sense of um, your area of focus. 
Well, when I graduated from graduate school, I stayed in Florida and did a lot of work on water supply because our water has to come from somewhere. And in Florida, it comes from groundwater. Um, and then that really wasn't the focus I wanted. And so I looked at changing um, career paths and companies, and I ended up changing companies and moving to Colorado. Um, and then that, and then from there, moved to Phoenix, but stayed with the same company. So the projects at that point were more of what I wanted to do, which is working from, you know, chemical plants to old refineries to informal industrial manufacturing facilities. Um, I traveled all over the country. My clients were all over the country from the Pacific Northwest to New York. Um, so it's just usually former um, manufacturing facilities. And because there were no environmental laws, um, at the time when these um, manufacturing practices were happening, you know, the waste just went anywhere, it went into the ground and went into the water. There were no laws um, to really govern that at the time um, that those businesses were practicing. And so then modern environmental laws come um, into being and there is these environmental legacies that ultimately do need to be contained so that they don't harm human health and the environment or cleaned up where they can be. Within your projects, you were looking at the impact of some of the um, former corporations that had done business there and trying to remediate. Would that be a good way of describing your responsibility? Yep, that, that's correct. So how did you feel doing that work? I loved the variety of that work, and my particular focus was on characterizing the, the, the geology because every site is different and I can't emphasize that enough because that's why that's why there's no one universal technology to like make the world a cleaner place because because of geology everything is different and the engineers have to be able to design solutions and they need to know what they're dealing with and so my job was to help characterize that um, and I I like that work for a very very long time but then I just hit a wall where I felt I wasn't making the difference that I wanted to and I just started to lose interest in it. And I knew that that was a problem because if I lost interest in it, I wouldn't be a good employee anymore. <laughs> so right, right. I, um, you know, I worked for a really big engineering company for quite some time and started to getting more into sustainability consulting and um, got trained in uh, sustainability reporting. Um, I worked with a partner company that we that we had you know merged with in London I went there for three weeks to learn about sustainability and building um, and I knew that sustainability is where I wanted to point my career but I just couldn't get gain traction at that company to make that happen how do you make the transition from geologist focused on sustainability to fashion stylist focused on sustainability I'm just curious if you could talk about your thought process and, and a little bit about the the whole uh, trajectory of your decision making, how you went from point A to point B, because I think people would be very interested to hear that because it's a pretty, you know, it's a big leap. Sure. Yeah. So I um, ended up leaving the consulting firm I worked for. I went to work for an environmental software company. And at the after the first year there, that company had been acquired by an investment firm. And at that point, I thought, um, I don't want to be a part of any more mergers and acquisitions. I've been through so many before, and it just it just wasn't the environment I wanted to be in anymore. And so at that time, 
I thought I have to figure out, you know, what I want to be when I grow up. And um, I had no idea because I thought, well, I can just go get another job. I mean, that was that's pretty easy, but um, I don't think that's what I want to do. My mother had left a newspaper article out for me while I was visiting her in Pennsylvania. I think it was like Christmas of 2014, I want to say. And it was a book review of the book um, Jump Ship. Um, and I was like, that's nice. I read it, but I, it like stayed in my mind. And the subtitle of the book jump ship is ditch your dead end job and turn your passion into a profession. And it's written by a guy named Josh ship. And I, I early 2015, I'm thinking, well, what am I going to do? So I, I read this review of this book again and I end up getting it. And quite frankly, that is what changed my trajectory because it's essentially a guided approach to figuring out what your passion is, even though we all generally know what our passions are, but like kind of um, crystallizing that. And how do you take that passion and actually, you know, what does that look like as a career for you? And it's not a book on being an entrepreneur because some people's passionate jobs, you know, they may, they may already exist as jobs, but it is very, it was very helpful to me because it was very practical it was a process, and what I did is I just read the book, and then I read it again, and I followed the the process, and I had this kind of aha moment because I knew, um, you know, from journaling and just kind of going through the process of the book, you know, my passions, okay, I want to save the planet. I want to help people. I want to work with people one-on-one. Sustainability is important to me. Um, but then there's other questions in that book, like, where do you lose time? Like, where, when, do you, what's most enjoyable to you? And so that's where a lot of like the art and creativity kind of bubbled up. So, you know, looking at all my notes, it was kind of like these two separate spaces almost um, with like the art, the creativity, that type of thing that I enjoy, as well as my um, need to save the planet. And so I was literally on the internet one morning again part of like the homework of this book and read about personal styling and it kind of hit me because I thought well I've always known about celebrity styling or photo shoot styling because that's its own separate arm of styling and you know the celebrities that you see for for movies and things like that and it never occurred to me that personal styling was an option and when I read that part of personal styling can be restyling people's existing clothes like what they already own I thought oh my goodness that's that's the link to sustainability because we're not just throwing away our clothes and treating them like trash I can help people keep what they own and fast forward like a few months later I was talking to another business owner friend of mine and was just kind of telling her like my thoughts on this and she said you come most alive when you talk about it as it pertains to sustainability She's like, that needs to be your niche because I just approached it as I'm going to be a stylist with no, just very broad. And I realized right. like what that could look like. And so that is kind of the very high level overview of my, my process. <laughs> so, yeah. So this is an interesting thing because you, you've talked about a couple of themes here. So I just want to focus on uh, the first thing that came to mind, which was it takes a lot of courage to make a change like this. This is a big step. You mentioned that you felt your um, science positions as a geologist, you were hitting, you know, a wall, a dead end. But then there was a big step towards saying, you know what, I'm so done with this to I have the courage to make a huge change. 
What was that emotional process that you went through? So for me, I think I knew I was done with my geology career about three to four years before I actually made the leap. It's just I couldn't figure out the next step. So I stayed in that profession. Like I couldn't figure out my way out. And I also, because I stuck it out for that three to four year period, I was getting increasingly frustrated, unhappy, and stressed out. Like I did not particularly enjoy what I was doing, even though I did it well. I wasn't happy. And there comes that point where you have that conversation with yourself that like, like you got to talk yourself to show up to work each day to get out of bed. And there's, there's just no reward in what you're doing. And the problem is you also, this other conversation that you have or that I had to myself was you have a very well-paying job. You have security, you have benefits. There are people that would kill for this job, but you're not happy. And so you, I had that conversation for a period of years with myself, which is the practical, like you have a job, like this is good versus I'm very unhappy and this doesn't feed my soul. And eventually you just reach a breaking point. Like I just reached a breaking point where I'm like, I can't just go get another job. I think that's important. Yeah, I can understand. You're weighing the practicality of having a good job, steady income, great benefits, but you're unhappy. So that's, exactly. that to me takes a lot of, that takes a lot of courage in my mind to actually say, you know what, I'm going to take a big leap into the unknown. So I really commend you for that. I think that's pretty amazing. Um, I also want to talk to you about, um, you're welcome, about the, the book that you selected. I think it's interesting, first of all, that you, the article that you read that your mother had left for you, and then shifting towards taking that book and using it as a guide. Can you talk a little bit more about that process? Because I think that's very helpful for women who are thinking about, oh gosh, okay, I hate what I'm doing. I want to make a change, a huge change. How do I do this? The book was kind of like a, I don't know where else to start, so I'll start with this, which ended up being a good decision. So I think the first step is to take the first step <laughs> because you can't, right. you can't move forward until you take that first step. So for me, it was, I'm going to read this book. So step one. Um, and the interesting thing is that and I've listened to various like kind of podcasts and other things since then about passion is that a lot of people are like well I don't know what my passion is well we all have a passion and in fact I think many of us have multiple passions it's just what is the passion that can become a career and and you know kind of give us some sort of income you know that we need to live I mean we all we all need some level of money um and I like that because I don't I think people get stuck on the like well I don't have a passion and they just kind of end it there and that's probably not the case but it's like we haven't been allowed to dream or if we did dream it's like when we were 15 and then we said well now we got to pull it together and be practical and go clock in and clock out for the next 25 years and that's really what this book dispels the myth and it's actually written by someone who you know he very much is a millennial he makes that very clear in the beginning of the book and it's actually written for millennials because when they were you know graduating college their job prospects were dim at that point in the economy um so but it, it doesn't matter i'm i'm not a millennial um i'm older than that generation but the the um, process and his approach i think is valuable and applicable because it is a way to focus yourself on 
what do you like? What do you like doing? You know, start with a very, very big funnel. And then he progressively narrows it down. That's part of the process. And for me, it just gave me something to latch on to because, again, you have to just take that first step. And I had no idea what that would be. So I thought, well, I'll try this. And it was um, extremely helpful to have something to kind of cling on to as a guide because, you know, you're going into uncharted territory. And, um, and so I had gone through that process of that book like several times. Like I said, I read it one time through and then I read it and actually did the exercises. And, um, you know, one of the chapters is, okay, if you think you found your passion, like go do it for free. And um, his example is he always thought he wanted to be a, a pediatrician, I think. And he said he shadowed a doctor for a day and realized that is absolutely not what I want to do. Um, so I started volunteering at a thrift store um, that helped women who need clothing for like first day on the job or interview outfits. So I learned a lot about secondhand clothing, even more than I'd already known. Um, I went to a business of styling class. And that was a huge, I would say, step two in the process. So step one is take the first step. So for me, that was the book. Step two was I found um, the School of Style, which is based in Los Angeles, and it's run by two stylists. And they had a business of styling class for a weekend in New York City. And it was specifically for people who want to be personal stylists. And I really went back and forth on this. And in retrospect, I shouldn't have. It was the best decision I made. But it gave me a chance to go and learn about what the business of personal styling looks like. And I told myself and told my husband, well, if I, if it works out, I'm going to move forward. If I go and I realize I hate it, well, that's, there's nothing that I lost. You know, I just went, I learned, and I realized it's not going to be for me. So I went to that class and... Um, Loved it, loved all the other stylists I met, um, still a mentored by that group. Uh, and it was it was great. And so I came back and I said, okay, I think I'm going to do this. <laughs> and then I started setting up all of the behind the scenes things for my business that needed to be done. The whole thing was just a mindset of moving forward. Like that that part I talked about where I reached my breaking point. It's like, okay, you can go back or you can go forward. So that's kind of also, I think, what was happening in the back of my mind during that time period as well. What were those initial steps that you took? So you made your decision, you were pulling the trigger, ready, set, go. What were those things that you had to organize to get your business started? I, and the other thing is I still have my corporate job at this point. So the other thing that I had done was committed to working because I was thinking, well, I need to save, like I'm a saver as it is, but then I thought I need to save even more money if I'm going to leave this and, and you know, be in business for the first year without without a job. And so um, that was kind of happening behind the scenes as well. And so then when I came back from that styling course, they had actually given us a really simple blueprint of next steps, which to me was so valuable. <laughs> it was so simple, but so valuable. And it was like, go um, establish like a business name. Like, and so in Arizona, it's super easy. Like at first I just did a, a DBA. So doing business as, and I registered that with the secretary of state that costs, you know, like $25 or something. Um, I then met with an accountant and talked about, you know, just forming the DBA and what kind of like bookkeeping he would need for me. And I an Excel person. So just, you know, kept it super simple um, talking about tax stuff like that was just to just meet with someone and talk with someone was very valuable. I established a business bank account. I had a friend who started my first website for me, who was super simple. 
Um, and then what I started to do is reach out to my friends and see who wanted to work with me for free because I had never done this before. And that was really, really valuable because I needed to understand like where they were stuck, what their pain points were, how long it would take, what deliverables they would want. I had to teach myself how to shop by measurement because that's how style a shop. Like, did I get it right? Did they like the clothes I picked out? So all of these things I practiced on friends and gained a ton of experience because you don't want the first time you do something with like a paying client. <laughs> so nobody's right. really paying you to learn is the way I look at it. So that um, that was kind of what I did through the fall of that year that I was still kind of starting this business. Well, you've just laid out some very specific steps, so I appreciate that. I'm I'm also a blueprint kind of person, so mm -hmm. I appreciate, you know, how thorough you've been um, explaining your process, and I think that will be very helpful for our listeners. So, okay, so you took the step, you started style, styling friends for free. Let's talk about what process do you go through, and then I also want to talk about your jump to sustainability. So I'm just curious. Mm -hmm. You come to you come to someone's house. How do you how do you work with a client? Yeah. So the first year that I did this, I had a different process than I do now. And so what I did at that point was I had a pretty in depth intake form um, that they would send me, and then um, I would like meet with them at their homes and review it. And that. That process worked out, but it really evolved to the current process, which I'll share in more detail now. So what I do now is my clients, no matter where they live in the country, all start with a virtual service with me. And that is a very, um, like, how do I say this, intensive, I guess, session where we get to who the person is. And so personal styling is different from other forms of styling because it is bringing what's inside the person to the outside. You know, as you said at the beginning of the podcast, like it's more than clothes. You know, we we send a message with our clothes. And so I created this virtual session, um, Design Your Signature Style, to get to know the person because a lot, of, almost everybody has a very specific goal for their style and the message they want to send but everyone has a very unique way in which they want to represent that. And so through um, a prep form that they work on with me, a Pinterest board that they provide to me, which is extremely helpful, um, they send me photos of outfits that they like, all of that comes together, and then I have a virtual service that I do with them. And so by the end of that, they have a much better handle on the elements of their style that are important to them, and I also know. Um, because there are people that will be standing all day versus sitting, people that are in and out of their cars, people that are, you know, physicians to accountants to business coaches. So everyone has a different lifestyle preferences and requirements for their clothing. And so we have to set the stage for that before we get into anything else. And so with that process, um, I start creating their lookbook, which is a um, – multimedia um, deliverable essentially of photos they provide me with style guidance, um, a summary of their style. I give them resources on my blog and YouTube videos. I narrate their style book. So it's a very like 
nice way to just get this overview because a lot of people feel they have to remember everything I say to them and I, they don't. I just give that all to them with their lookbook. Um, and then after that, I work with them in their homes or continue the virtual process depending on where they live. And that's um, if they're local to Phoenix, I go to their homes and that's when I start to create outfits with what they already own. And this is like where a lot of breakthroughs happen because we tend to look at our closets the same way because that's just what we do. It's easy. It's path of least resistance. Most people wear 20% of what they own 80% of the time. And so my job is to break that up and to look at all the potential that is in the closet, create the outfits around, you know, kind of what we established in that initial session and um, help educate because my job is really empowerment because, I have clients that work with me ongoing, like regular clients. And I have some that they don't need to work with me once they work with me the first time. They're off and running. They got it. They know what they need to do. And so it's it's not I don't I, I like to say I don't create a continual dependency. It's um it's very much an empowerment and educational experience. And um then the final phase of that is personal shopping. And so I do this significantly different than most stylists because I shop at consignment stores or if people want brands that are sustainable, you know, I can shop online. But the consignment store shopping means that I shop for my clients and I pull the clothes ahead of time. And what that means is uh, we create a shopping list after we've worked in the closet. I have their measurements. And so I'll go to the store and basically shop the gaps or fill the gaps. So it's not just mindless shopping. It's focus shopping to get the items that we feel are missing from the closet. And then they meet me and all the clothes are pulled and they try them on and whatever they don't like goes back and what they do, they purchase and then they go home and they're done. <laughs> and then they get more more of a lookbook. The lookbook continues to be added to. Um, but that's, that is the complete process if someone was going to work with me from kind of like beginning to end. They're not, they don't need to. People um, sometimes just work with me on the virtual service, sometimes just personal shopping. So they know they have a ton of clothes or the personal styling, excuse me. And then, you know, but some just want to go through all three steps. Wow. You've mentioned a whole lot of themes here that I want to delve into. First of all, you hit it on the head, which is, Shopping and clothing can be a very emotional process for women, and yes, it does. Mm -hmm. You are your you have to represent your brand, and clothing is important, and that's a big cue. So, how do you deal with the emotional aspect of? But I bought this when I graduated graduate school. I don't want to give it away. How can I do that? How, how do you deal with that? Because I mean, I know I have clothing in my closet that I just am, I. I feel like emotionally connected to. So what's your process of, of working with a client mm -hmm. to get over this? Yeah. So the first thing is I don't make people get rid of anything. So if they have things in their closet that they cannot wear or don't wear and they don't want to get rid of them, that's fine. Because my job is to use the clothes that they can wear and that they do wear to create the new outfits. If, however, they do want the support as to, I think I should get rid of this, but I just emotionally cannot part with it. We talk about the reasons why, because for some people, it's the sentimental value. Some people, 
there is this psychological phenomenon, which is we value what we already own way more than if we saw it in a store. And that's another thing that we have to discuss for some of my clients where they say, well, I can't get rid of it because I spent money on it. So then I have to ask, well, would you buy it now? If they say yes, then I ask, well, what would you pay for it? And that sometimes that's a light bulb moment where they say, oh, well, I wouldn't even pay $5 for this. Okay, well, then why is it in your closet? And then they, that kind of starts that journey. Um, for the emotional or sentimental um, clients, if they do want my help, like I said, I never, I never make people get rid of anything. If they do want my help kind of with that process, you kind of have to invoke the um, kind of the, uh, what do I want to say, mindset of your past this should not be greater than your future. And your clothes should reflect who you are now, not who you were, which is actually a quote from Stacey London. And it's not a direct quote, but that's one of her famous quotes. Um, and so we have to kind of, you know, I, sometimes I just leave them with that thought. Sometimes that's their homework. Um, but it is looking at it and saying, well, what do I want my closet to be? Do I want it to be a reflection of my past where 75% of it reflects that? and only 25% is my future, or do I want to invert that? Do I want this closet to be a reflection of me now and move me forward into my future? So there's a lot of different ways to approach it. <laughs> wow. This is great advice. I'm going to use it <laughs> because I, too, have, as most women, have stuff in there that I bought I don't wear, and, yes, I paid money for it, so there's certainly guilt associated with, but I paid money for it. Mm-hmm. I can't give it away mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So do you do you go through a process also of of um, helping your clients sell some of their items to consignment stores? I know that they go shopping in consignment stores, but so what happens with it? I guess let me ask it a different way. For those items that your clients say, okay, it's time to part with them. What what's your process? Yeah, so what happens typically is that when I'm working with them in their homes and we're creating the outfits, the what really happens for, I would say, 75% of my clients is the clothes that they thought they wanted to hold on to or that they really liked, they get it. They get why they don't work for them anymore. It could be fit. It could be style. It could be that they realize they have all these other awesome clothes that so they don't need to hold on to the sentimental ones. It's just they didn't see that before. And so what inevitably happens in a very like gentle and organic way is that they do start to release the old clothes then that they don't want. And um, in some cases they say, I never want to see these again, take them away from me. And in that case, I will donate them usually to the Humane Society thrift store because I like animals and I like supporting animals. (laughs) But if they have a tremendous number of clothes that they want to generate money from, um, they, I do that for them. So they, it's just an additional fee and I can sign their clothes for them. And, um, I do that in different tiers. So my number one rule of, of consignment shopping or the consignment process is always consign where you buy, because if you have clothes, um, that you want to consign and you can sign them to a store that you will never shop at, that's really not going to benefit you. So what I always say is if you can sign where you buy, once your clothes start selling, you will then have a credit or an account so that if you shop there, you're not really spending any money at that point. And so you kind of keep this nice like process going. And that's actually how I shop. So I rarely pay money for my clothes anymore because I can sign where I buy. <laughs> and so for my clients, I do that at different levels. So if I, I have a few consignment stores where I take my clients. So 
Um, I will consign their clothes where I think they're going to be shopping for the most or where I'm planning on taking them for shopping. Um, also, if they have jewelry, like I had a client who had a tremendous amount of costume jewelry that we went through, and there's only a few consignment stores here that will take jewelry. So, of course, I took a, her jewelry to that store. Um, she had a lot of designer items. I took that to one of the higher-end consignment stores. The rest of her items I took to another one. So I, I have like a tiered approach. Um, but I do do that because that particular client that I'm referring to, when we went shopping, she didn't pay. I think we've done three to four shopping trips, and she's barely paid any money. Like the first two, she didn't have to pay any. She had enough credit that all her clothes were free. <laughs> wow, this is fabulous. So I just want to jump quickly onto the whole sustainability theme here. So, mm -hmm. yes, you mentioned shopping in consignment stores, and I totally get that. I found some very cool things at consignment stores as well. How do you um, look for brands that focus on sustainability? So, if, if, so for so, example, if a client can't find what, they're, what they want in the consignment store, what brands are out there that actually how, – how, how do you go through that process? Yeah, so sustainability has three components. It's a three-legged stool, as we say. It's people, planet, profit, sometimes referred to as the three Ps. And so what that means is that something that is sustainable, um, you know, takes into account people, the planet, and the profit. So, for example, if somebody was making um, rugs from recycled T-shirts and giving them away for free, um, and had no income, they would probably be out of business because they missed the economic part. If somebody was, um, you know, clear-cutting a rainforest with no regard to replanting the trees, they might be out of business because they neglected the planet part because there's not going to be more trees for their business. So um, sustainability encompasses all three of those. And sustainable brands can have, you know, many different facets. For some, it might be um, fair trade. So in other words, the people making um, the clothes or accessories are, um, you know, paid a fair wage and that, you know, provides economic empowerment for them and their communities. Some may upcycle plastic bottles. Some may have a very strong, like, corporate um, giving back program. Some may encompass all three of the sustainability pillars. They don't have to. Some may be vegan or cruelty-free. Um, an example of a sustainable brand that's pretty much like top-to-bottom corporate that's a clothing brand is Eileen Fisher. Um, that's a tremendously powerful and like innovative company. Um, so that's just one example. The other thing you can look for in the clothes is third-party certification. So there's organic... Um, fabric certification, so a third party certifies that. You can look at that for the clothes. Um, like I said, you know, the upcycling or recycling of plastic bottles into clothes is quite popular. I was just reading in my Patagonia catalog this morning how they're making um, jackets from recycled wool. So there's all different facets to it. And there's a tremendous number of sustainable brands or ethical brands online it's just very hard to find them as bricks and mortar stores unless you truly are like in a place like new york city um like los angeles or san francisco those are probably the top three cities in this country to find actual stores um but there's there's a lot out there online so this is really helpful because um i know our listeners really have interest in working with these sustainable brands so th this is very helpful advice so I'm curious, how do you find your clients? 
So the first year was a tremendous amount of in networking and just, you know, seeing what sticks, quite frankly. <laughs> um, my website, as basic as it was, actually attracted a fair number of clients, so people who would fill out a contact form, then I would speak with them. Um, this year, it's more repeat client business. Um, people really enjoy the personal shopping, so they just come back to me and say they want to go shopping again. Um, referrals and also online. So it's a real it's a real mix. <laughs> um, I've cut down on the networking um, just to kind of save my own sanity um, because I I like more of the organic kind of growing my web presence and blogging and I have clients find me that way just because of how I rank when people search for my business or search for personal styling. So I've kind of had to navigate that and how do I want to spend my time? What's important to me? How do I want people to find me? Um, so that's evolving. Great. So um, I wanted to wrap things up here. Um, and what we, what, I was just curious if you had a couple of themes or um, words of wisdom that you wanted to share with our listeners in terms of making such a huge career shift what it takes or the emotional piece of it and anything that you'd like to share with our listeners before we end our conversation. I personally reached a point where I realized that money doesn't buy happiness. And I think everyone will reach that place in their own way because usually what keeps us at a job or a career path that doesn't bring us joy but we stay there is the security aspect of it. And I had to not just tell myself that money doesn't buy happiness. I had to kind of believe it and feel it. And that's truly what motivated me to action because I had been making more money than I had ever made when I left my job. And I was, I mean, it wasn't the job's fault. It just wasn't the right fit for me. I was miserable. So that was a tremendous aha moment that, kick the whole thing off along with everything else that we've already discussed. So um, I think not rushing yourself because you can tell yourself all sorts of things like, oh, I, I know money doesn't buy happiness. It's I'm ready to go. You have to believe it and feel it because it's a very bumpy and uncomfortable road to leave all the security behind. It's worth it. But in my opinion, you totally have to be at a breaking point and you cannot let anyone tell you to quit your job. You have to do that and you have to feel that and believe that and know that that's your absolutely your next step. Um, I was listening to a podcast and she said, you know, if you can imagine yourself doing anything other than being a business owner, you should probably do that because being a business owner is very hard. Um, and it's true. <laughs> so, um, that's probably, my, I guess, my biggest advice to making that leap is in some ways, it's like I had my back against the wall and I thought, I, this is this is, has to be the next step. Like something just has to change for me. Um, having a lot of mentors and people to talk to. I had a mentor at one of the consulting firms I work for. He's local to Phoenix and he's a close friend and still a mentor. And he was the first person I talked to about this. Because I said, am I crazy if I think that I can be a business owner? And he's like, and he said, no. He said, I think you'd be very, very successful. And um, just hearing it from someone else really helped. 
Um, and then I have gained over the past few years, I've worked with a number of business coaches at this point. And the other probably, let's say if you're a business owner, you've made the leap, you're in your journey, finding a business owner mastermind group is absolutely essential. Um, I belong to one that's virtual based here in Phoenix, and that absolutely has been so critical to my growth and success. And it's like-minded women, business owners, um, and it's been very, very important. So um, to anyone who maybe feels like there's something missing in their business owner journey, that um, is something else perhaps to consider is finding that group in that tribe um, where you can really be yourself and learn from other business owners as well. Loren, this was so informative. Um, I so appreciate you imparting all of these words of wisdom. I've been taking notes like crazy myself, <laughs> and I, I really, really appreciate you taking the time. So thank you, and everyone should go and check out Loren North through the closet door.